You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We've been making cheese in Wisconsin since before we were even a state, which may be one reason why we win so many awards for it. It's what happens when a whole state dreams in cheese. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Happy New Year and welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hope everyone had a nice break and an enjoyable holiday full of friends and food. Good times. We're excited to be kicking off our 2023 season with you. And with the new year comes new openings. So we're sitting down with Kyle McClelland, the chef and culinary director of the legendary Boston restaurant Salty Girl, who just opened up a new outpost in West Hollywood right here in Los Angeles. We talk about their legendary tin fish collection, their sustainable approach to seafood, and how they adapted their approach to their new West Side locale. And then we head into the archives for a classic performance from our good buddy, Fletcher C. Johnson, who recently launched his own podcast, Listening to Fletcher C. Johnson. I recommend the three-part Complete History of Williamsburg, What a Trip Down Memory Lane. So Happy New Year once again. Excited to be here with you on Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Kyle. Welcome to Snacky Tunes. You know, as a ex-Bostonian myself, I would like to say I hope you've been enjoying the winter, but I know it's been an absolute <laughs> torrential downpour this whole week. Well, at least it's not uh, freezing rain. Yeah, at least it's not freezing rain. Um, but yeah. I will say, I will, I will say that. Uh, California's needed the rain, and most people said that I've seen more rain in the last three months than they've seen in a couple of years. So, <laughs> yeah, um, look, it's uh, no negative four degrees trudging through Harvard Square. Nothing but a hoodie with my hands in my pockets. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll, but we'll take the rain. We'll take the rain. Um, welcome. You know, uh, you are the chef and culinary director over at Salty Girl, which is an institution in Boston. And, you know, I was recently back in Boston last February, and I'll admit it had been 20 years since I'd mm-hmm. been to Boston. And the scene is so different. Yeah. Um, and I was so surprised by the amount of good food. So for people who aren't familiar with that, like the Boston and then even the adjacent like Somerville – Mm-hmm. Harvard Square scene. How would you describe it? What do most people not understand about it? I, I honestly, uh, you know, I've watched the Boston food scene grow, um, especially within the last, you know, six years that I've been back in mm. Boston. Um, you know, with the seaport blowing up, that's like a, it's like mm-hmm. a whole new Boston. You know what I mean? <laughs> that never existed before. You know, obviously Cambridge. You know, I see Cambridge as like the Brooklyn of Boston. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm, across the river. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The food, the food scene's always been really great there too. But um, you're starting to see a lot of, you know, big chefs coming into Boston. You know what I mean? Chefs that were predominantly in New York or you know what I mean in other markets. Um, so I'm, I'm glad to see the food scene in Boston. You know, getting to where. You know, it should be. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like uh, Boston kind of gets passed over every here and there, you know, when sure. it comes to the food. Um, but I definitely think that uh, it, it's come a long way. You know what I mean? It, it really has. And uh, we're obviously very excited to be doing so well in Boston. You know, it's, I, mean, I was a college student there, and that meant I was pretty broke most of the time. And so a lot of the good meals I had were where my parents came to town. And so, Back then, it was like 2000s, it was mostly like, I don't know, legal seafood and things Mm -hmm. like that, which is maybe Mm -hmm. not, you know, from what I can tell and looking back, maybe not the end-all be-all of a seafood restaurant. Um, Yeah. But, you know, most people do think of Boston as a seafood restaurant, but you guys as Salty Girl have also tried to make sustainability be a part Mm -hmm. of it, which is tougher to do when you have like a larger, even a local chain like legal seafood. Mm -hmm. How have you brought a different approach to seafood. How have you folded sustainability into that? Why does it even make a, a difference for you of where you get your oysters and your fish and things like that? Um, I think for us, you know what I mean? You know, when we started this concept, you know, I think the concept was very, was built on, well, first of all, the tin fish, right? The tin fish was something mm-hmm. very new for us. It was very new for me, um, even coming into it and, and, and thinking about, when, when we were talking about this in the beginning, I, to me, in my mind, I was like, how's this going to work? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I know Boston's an old seafood town, um, you know, mm-hmm. and, then, mm-hmm. and then once going to, to Europe and seeing the, the tin scene there, it made so much more mm-hmm. sense to me. Um, so, number one, we wanted to, you know, the concept was kind of based on, um, 
this small restaurant in Barcelona called Quimity Quimit. And that's kind of where we, sure. you know, the, the, the tin fish came from. When it comes to the sustainability, you know what I mean? Uh, many years on Nantucket, many years in Massachusetts. Like, uh, you know, mm. I, I love working with seafood. It's, it's something that um, I really enjoy doing. Um, and I feel like New England has some of the best seafood, not just in the country, but in the world, you know, to be honest with mm. you. Um, you know, for us, you know, working close with some of these small producers of oysters and, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I've noticed over the years, it seems like a lot of these oyster companies, a lot of them are being passed down to their children. And then you have yep. a younger, yep. you have a, you have a younger generation, uh, kind of taking over these, these, these companies and they're looking at things differently. They're trying things differently. Mm. They're, they're, um, there's a guy in Rhode Island that, he grows his oysters in salt ponds rather than, you know, in the ocean. So you get this huh. uh, a very, very different salinity. Uh, it's just, it's very interesting. So, uh, you know, we, we use, we, we try to use some of the small guys, you know what I mean? I think it's important to kind of support some of these local guys. And, and, and I think that they have amazing product uh, when it comes to some of our purveyors, you know, I try to work with some of the best, best purveyors in Boston. Yep. You know, we've always been about quality. You know what I mean? You know, I think that's what kind of sets us apart. You know I mean? I'd rather have like really good quality fish. You know what I mean? I think it's super important. Um, the lobster, you know what I mean? We, sure. you know, it's, it's come a long way. You know, I know lobster has been, you know, right now it's, I know it's a talk of, how to make it sustainability. You know what I mean? Uh, with, with, with the, the main production, um, I'm starting to hear that people are, are starting to try to do some farmed lobsters. It's, it's starting to happen. You know what I mean? Um, but for us, you know, you know, working with some of the local guys, you know, I try not only local, but we're also trying to do stuff with, you know, you know, we get a lot of the Japanese fish in. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, being here in, in Los Angeles, it's the same thing. You know, we're, we want to be where we are an East Coast brand. We we, we want to bring an East Coast restaurant to L.A. But I also want to um, I really want to, you know, use what L.A. has to offer. You know what I mean? There's a lot mm -hmm, of cool stuff mm -hmm. happening out here in L.A. A lot of, you know, like the uh, joint seafood guys, the guys that are dry aging all mm -hmm. this fish. Super interesting. Oh, yeah. Um you know, I've been telling all the guys on the East Coast they got to get on that game. I think it's super cool. I think it's super interesting. <laughs> Some of the product that that they've been producing, it kind of just blows me away. Um, yeah, so you know, I mean, I, I really want to like kind of showcase, you know, be this East Coast restaurant, have this East Coast seafood, but I, I really want to kind of showcase what the West Coast has to offer. You know what I mean? The Pacific Ocean's here, and they have some great product here. Um, obviously the weather's much nicer here. Um, mm. but like we've been working with a lot of small producers. We work with this, uh, Stephanie fish, Stephanie seafood. She oh, yeah. literally, yeah, she's great. She's, she's great. You know what I mean? And the fact that you get to work so closely with these people, you know what I mean? She's literally diving for urchins for us. You know what I mean? She's, mm -hmm. she's, she's, she's harvesting all this product herself. Um, what else I'm trying to think? Um, transparent have you guys heard of them transparent mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The, the the shrimp that they're doing oh yeah that they're, it's they, incredible yeah. shrimp yeah yeah great product another another company local that you know we're working with um you know so yeah you know what i mean i think i just think i feel like this this younger generation of 
um, people, you know, in this business are are kind of changing the game a little. You know what I mean? You know, never, you never what I. Good- Oh, sorry. I was going to say you bring up a good point because, you know, you're working with this new generation, but you are in many ways this classic New England seafood shack. um, And you have an outpost in London and you have the new outpost um, in West Hollywood. But people still expect, you know, when you think Boston Mm -hmm. fish shack, you're like lobster roll, oysters, things Mm -hmm. like that. How do you evolve people's mentality of that? How do you evolve – (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, what feedback have you seen with the customer, especially since you've been around in Boston for seven years, I believe, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you open in London, as you open in LA, plus this idea of sustainability, how do you evolve it together, especially when people come down and sit down there and like, oh, what do you mean you don't have this product? What do you yeah. mean you don't have this thing that I had, you know, in uh, in in Maine 25 years ago? Right. You know what I mean? I, obviously here on the West Coast, it's it's a little bit more difficult you know what i mean just getting some of the east coast product you know what i mean i get product flown in you know two to three sure. times a week um you know uh i think for like you know the boston scene i feel like you know we we always try to approach it you know what i mean i grew up on the cape you know what i mean i used to go yeah. to uh, you know all these these fish shacks and you know fried clams and you know what i mean mm-hmm. you know all the lobster rolls, all the bell, chowder, yeah. all, you know what I mean? We have all the classics. And then what we like to do, I like to kind of make, you know, maybe a, a more modern take on something that was mm. a little classic. And we kind of go around that route. And I honestly, I feel like people, especially in Boston, you know, we have such a good following in Boston. Um, people are, at, at least for what I, when we had the old space, when everything was done in front of everyone, I really felt that like people were more opt to, try more things because they're watching it being done in front of right, them, right? Of you know course. what i mean um you know here in la we kind of have the same type of vibe and, and as in london too where we kind of have this counter seating um but I, I find that you know people you know people's palettes have changed you know what i mean i think that you know sure. us, you know we we have all our classics and we stay true to a lot of the classics but you know what I mean? I love to, you know, change and play with food. Um, there's so much good product out here now, you know, especially here in LA, you know, all this, you know, spot prawns and, you know, the fresh Santa Barbara, mm-hmm. none, none of this, none of this stuff that, you know, by the time it, it made it to the East coast, you know what I mean? It, it wasn't the same, you know what I mean? Like no, it was so no, hard, no, it was no. so hard getting live spot prawns on the East coast, but now they come to me and they're, just so lively. You know what I mean? All this, you know, the Dungeness crab, all, all that stuff that, was just so expensive there is, is it's different. You know what I mean? Um, I'm finding, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you too, even here, you know, I'm selling way more East coast oysters than I'm selling West coast oysters. And really? I, I really, yes, I really thought it was going to be an opposite. Um, you know, maybe because, it's, you know, uh, the rare, the fruit, right? Maybe it's a little <laughs> bit of, uh, grass is always greener. Maybe, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, so, uh, but it's it's good now. Now I'm seeing kind of the other side here, where you know I'm seeing some of these producers from Washington, from Oregon, um, you know, even Northern California. Some of these oysters coming out uh, from there are really good too. So, um, you know, for us, I'm just you know I always try to stay ahead of the game a little. I'm, I'm always trying to find new product. I like to change things a lot. You know what I mean? Um, you know, that's kind of how we 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 try to you know, move forward with this, you know, I, I try to change things seasonally, 
obviously. Mm. Um, and then, and then we, we really try to focus on what's fresh in the market. You know what I mean? Like a yeah. lot of my purveyor, a lot, of, a lot of my purveyors will be like, Hey chef, you know, like we got this amazing, you know, black cod or sable fishing, or I think you should try these, you know, spiny lobsters or, you know what I mean? So I think we, we try to, you know, we stay true to the classics, New England seafood things, but everything else we, we try to, you know, have a new take on it like we're doing a big caviar program here um mm-hmm. a lot of little caviar dishes and we're finding you know i'm trying to make it more approachable maybe a little more lowbrow you know what i mean caviar dip little caviar <laughs> sandwiches we do these little sure, caviar sure. mini rolls um you know so again we're trying i'm you know i'm trying to make it not so highbrow and make it a little more fun and a little more approachable um and, and I'm finding it's going really well here. Um, hopefully soon to be done in Boston as well. Um, but awesome. yeah, you know, go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, I want to talk a little bit about opening up and being in West Hollywood versus being in Boston versus being in London. Sure. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about the design of the space because it is gorgeous. And I know you worked with um, Jessica Schuster to bring it to life. Mm-hmm. But at first, I want to take a quick musical break we have a song from sarah jaffe from the archives here on snacky tunes on heritage radio network yeah yeah Thank you. 
Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We are chatting with Kyle McClelland, chef and culinary director of Salty Girl, which started in Boston seven years ago, then opened in London, and now has an outpost in West Hollywood. And right before the break, you were talking about fun and revelry and bringing a little bit of that feeling to the restaurant. And I can't think of a better spot in LA than West Hollywood to bring that type of approach to dining to something as classic and sometimes I don't want to say serious, but revered as like the Boston oyster, you you know, lobster roll Mm -hmm. house. Um, How did you pick West Hollywood and, you know, how did you approach it? Because LA has not always been kind to outside restaurants or restaurant groups. What what were some of the pratfalls that you tried to avoid? Were there lessons learned before going in? I, I think that, you know, so this has been a long time coming project. You know, Kathy, the owner, um, both of her children are here in Los Angeles and have been here for mm-hmm. quite some time. Uh, Kathy obviously spent a lot of time in Los Angeles before she got into the restaurant business when she was doing her filming film business. Um, so she, she has a big, you know, this is, this is partly home for her too. Um, you know, this was a long time coming. We had already been looking at spaces before the pandemic, um, Mm. in West Hollywood. Um, you know, the, the area we are in like sunset Plaza, it's, it's just a great area, honestly, on the strong, the strip. Um, so again, we, we had been looking at spaces right before the pandemic, obviously the pandemic happened and, and luckily things didn't literally, we were there signing the contract that week that everything closed, like literally. So it, it all, it all worked out well for us. Um, but we, we knew we wanted to be here and, and you're right. We, you know, uh, we, we did, we did hear that it, it's, it's tough for outside <laughs> brands coming into LA, you yep. know, but for, for me, like I said, I wanted to embrace LA. You know what I mean? I didn't mm-hmm. want to be this mm-hmm. this outsider coming in and saying, you know what, we're from the East Coast. We're going to be an East Coast restaurant, and it is what it is. You know, what I mean, for me, is I wanted to, you know, find the people that are the local people. You know, I think it's really important. Um, you know, being in tune with the farmers markets here is something that I don't get to do in Boston. You know what I mean? Mm. I don't get. I don't get to go to time of year. No, no, I don't. I don't get to go to the farming markets and and put my hands and touch produce. And you know, I mean, I think that that was a big thing for us. You know what I mean? We wanted to embrace what Cali had to offer, not only on the produce side, but also on the seafood side. And then again, working with some of these these staples, these companies here in 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 Los Angeles, that you know, I think it was important. You know, like getting with Stephanie. She she you know she only works with certain people. You know what I mean? So like. Yeah, I want. I, yeah. I wanted to. You know, I mean, she's a small. She's a small producer, and she does great at what she does. Um, same with the joint guys. Like again, I think they're doing something innovative. They're doing something new. I think it's interesting. I feel like people might have a a weird perception of this dry aged fish. Who's hanging fish for X amount of days? You know, how are you eating that raw? You know what I mean? And and honestly, after I started to try it and 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 play with some of their product, it, it blew my mind. You know, like he's really figured it out. <laughs> it, I mean, just look at history. 
aging, curing, all that stuff. It's it's nothing new. It's just maybe falling a little out of yeah. fashion. Yeah, yeah, and 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 honestly, it, it's um, it's so interesting. And then honestly, just working with some of these these local companies, I think it's really important. Mm. You know, we're not we're not we're, we don't serve a lot of meat, but you know. Um, you know, what we do use, you know what I mean? I, I want to work with some of these great guys. You know, we, we use Premier Meats. He's mm-hmm, been, the company's mm-hmm. been here for almost 70 years. Same yeah. thing. He's, the, the son has taken over the company for the father. And, yeah, and it's the same yeah. thing. He's a little bit younger and he's doing a lot of cool stuff. And so, you know, I think I think that was the most important thing was, you know, I, I wanted to spend the time to introduce myself to these people, meet these people and start a relationship with these people. I think it's really important. And I feel like as long as, you know, we stay tuned with the LA scene, I think we'll, we'll do just fine. I think that we have a good following. I feel like a lot of the people here are very well traveled. Most of them have been mm-hmm. to our restaurant mm-hmm. in Boston. Um, so, and I, and I think that, you know, again, what I'm hearing feedback from people, people are so happy we're here because they know that we, uh, quality is important to us. You know, they, they know mm-hmm. that like we always, mm-hmm. you know, have the freshest oysters, you know, so that's really important to me. Um, so, you know, coming here to LA so far, so good. You know what I mean? Um, not, we've, you know, we've been, I, I'm, I'm glad, you know, especially opening the week of Christmas, it was a little tough, uh, but it, yeah, it's all, but, it, know, it, it, it's, it, 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 but it's, it's all worked out. Um, I have to say, you know, especially um, knowing how Boston can sometimes empty out in some ways during the holiday season, especially these last few years, like people sort of stick around and want a good meal in LA during the Christmas time. And yeah, especially you know, being in, yeah. oh, go on. I was just saying, I, I'm finding that, you know, the January, February is where you're in Boston and it's cold are different yeah. here. And it's the January and February are the award season and it's busy here. It's, it's like yeah. opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So, now you also brought a really beautiful spot to life, which let's be honest, helps today because so much of things are driven by social media and photography and Instagram, mm-hmm. things like that. And you worked with this great designer, Jessica Schuster. What did you want to bring from the original restaurant, the original concept? And then since you guys have been so uh, thoughtful or at least thinking about making a space feel like it's from LA, what elements did you want to fold in from that point of view? We really wanted to bring back that the original space. You know what I mean? Mm. The, the the OG salty girl, the twenty eight seats, the counter. You know what I mean? Um, having that, you know, personal kind of like, you know, everyone was right there. Everyone could see us. Every, you know, I used to break down fish in front of everyone. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was oh, something yeah. we, we yeah. wanted to we wanted to bring that back a little. We felt like when we when we had to move to the other space, we 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 lost that part of it. Um, and I think that was a big part of who we were. Um, so we wanted, you know, so we got the counter seating back. Um, oyster bar is such a focal point, you know what I mean? In the, in the new restaurant, you know, you walk through those French doors is the first thing that you see, um, Mm. as well as the tinned fish. Um, so, you know, we wanted to kind of, you know, we got the, the pink neon signs back like we had in the original space. We wanted that feel, but we wanted to be a little more elegant. You know I mean? Obviously mm-hmm. being here in Los Angeles and being here on Sunset Boulevard. Um, and you know, like, let's be real, you know, we, we sell seafood, you know, mm-hmm. seafood's not, not cheap. Right. So mm-hmm. we wanted to, we wanted to bring up, um, 
yeah, we want we want we wanted it to be a little more elegant. You know what I mean? We we really sure. did, but we but we also wanted to hold true to who we are and um like we me and Kathy have always been about this kind of like highbrow lowbrow. You know what I mean? Sure. You sure. you can get your caviar, but you can get your clam chowder. You can get your you know fried calamari. You know what I mean? That's how we've always yeah, kind of yeah, played yeah. it, and we really wanted to kind of um do that in this space. Um, you know, we have this beautiful patio here. Um, you know, with the weather being so nice, you know what I mean? It's, it's something that we, I mean, not this last week, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's so funny. The highbrow lowbrow is probably how, if I just sum up Boston, uh, was how I would sum up the city, um, in a perfect way, uh, with that mentality. Um, but you know, people want to feel, comfortable and they want to be especially in that part of town nestled into some spot that feels elegant but then also know Mm -hmm. they can get good food that looks really good and i know that you've also brought over the tin fish program with you to this spot which you know especially you know in america but in la the last year or two has seen such an explosion of this type of approach to food how did you want to stand out with your own program What's your curation look like? How are you setting yourself apart from the other places um, that are selling the same type of, of, of tin fish? And so, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, since the beginning, I feel like it has come a long way in the last seven years. I can, I can remember doing our, our tasting. I can remember doing our tasting when we first started opening salty um, and we tasted 150 different tins. You know what I mean? And, and now, um, there's so many new companies. There's a lot of like, um, you know, for example, the guy Savoy, he's got his own brand and he's doing tins a little bit differently where he's char grilling them and then putting them in a tin. Uh, phenomenal. He's doing different cuts of tuna, like tuna neck, uh, tuna belly, the, the back loin. It's super interesting. So tins have evolved so much over the last seven years. Um, you know, for us, we're constantly trying new products. Um, you know, we're always tasting product. We, we always want to, we find the things that we like, because I feel like, you know, there's some things that mm-hmm. we, that, you know, we have changed a lot of the tins, even in London too. There's so many things that I can get in the UK that I can't get here in the States. You know what I mean? So I'm already seeing UK brand tins that are really cool that we have only in the UK. Um, you can't but, you know, ship. What's what's the, what's the rule there? To be the to be company. honest with you, to be honest with you, anything coming from America to the UK is super taxed. It's so expensive. Oh yeah, <laughs> it, you're not so slipping a couple of tins into your luggage. <laughs> and, uh... Oh yeah, we we definitely did that. Yes, um, but. You know, definitely the tin program is it's it's ever changing. There's so many new different brands and companies, uh, Portugal, Spain. You know what I mean? France. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see. You know, just being in the UK, I I started to see some of these UK brands which I've never seen before. So mm-hmm. uh, it's super interesting. Um, but again, you're you're starting to see a lot of local people too. You know, I mean, we do we do some stuff with Fishwife. We actually do the co-branding with them. We actually have our own tin now. Um, mm-hmm. a salty girl tin um you know some of the washington state oyster guys are doing great programs so like a lot of the the local stuff as well um it's it, like i said and people you're starting to see so many different things like i got some tins the other day and they're actually hake cheeks the cheeks of hake 
Uh, mm, I love a good fish cheek. If someone does it for me, 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 me doing it myself is a pain in the ass. But if someone else wants to scrape and cure and salt and everything, yeah, yeah, yes, please. And so, so there's so many new products, and you're seeing these companies. The, the, the honestly, some of them are so beautiful. Like if you yeah. open some of these tins, like these are handmade. You know, someone's putting individual cockles in these tins. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um. I think for us, you know, like I said, I'm always trying, I'm always looking for new products. You know what I mean? Where uh, I work with, you know, who's a good source? Rainbow Garden. You ever heard of this? The Rainbow Garden Tomato out of Pennsylvania. He's this Ooh. guy. He used to be an ex-chef. Um, mm-hmm. His, his company is called Rainbow Garden Tomato. Um, he, he has like a local, he grows tomatoes or obviously, right? But he sure, also does, sure. he also does a ginormous tinned fish program like huge Hmm. um and he is so knowledgeable and he his name's dan and he's great he's a great person to talk to he's a great person to kind of just check out super knowledgeable and he's the same thing he fell in love with tins and he's trying to bring tins from all over the world into the states and introduce them to people um so Hmm. he's been a great guy just to you know what i mean He's more of a retail guy, not really a wholesale guy, but he's someone to kind of just get on the phone with and chat and kind of talk about tins. Um, And that's been fun, finding people that, you know, enjoy the same thing. You know what I mean? I'm going to be when we start a new podcast is called Talking Tins. And that's a (laughs) that's a a extension of the Sauté Girl brand. I, I found when we went to London and we opened up the, the London location, you know, when we started doing the tin program with just yeah. you know, our staff, you know, tins in London were considered to be like very lowbrow, like people like, you know what I mean? It, it wasn't a thing I mean, for same them. Same here. I mean, you know, you go to Trader Joe's, it's like a buck 50 for anchovies. Yeah. And and honestly, I feel like, you know, we did like a full tasting. We tasted all the tins on the menu with them. And and honestly, it's, it's, it's doing really well. You know what I mean? I think, but I think that's important. I think our staff has to be knowledgeable. You know, people need to taste these things and know um, what they are. You know what I mean? I think it's super important. Um, Amazing. So listen, I know you've only been open for a few weeks, yeah. but as you look to the future and your place in LA, what would you like to see? What do you hope to see? What do you hope to become even beyond, you know, this first wave of like opening and media cycle and things like that. When everything settles in, you know, would you like I, to I, I, I would like to become a neighborhood restaurant. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, that's how, that's how we, that's, what we became in Boston, you know what I mean? I, mm-hmm. I, we always joke about it in the beginning when, when we first opened salty girl in that little tiny space, I can remember the first four, five months, no one would come in. You know what I mean? There was, mm-hmm. there was days, there was days where no one would come in that place. And I used to, every day I would freak out and be like, Kathy, what are we going to do? What are we? And then honestly, you know what I mean? Once people started to come and word of mouth, and then we became this, this neighborhood restaurant. You know, that's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed, you know, seeing all the locals. You know what I mean? I had great relationships with so many guests and customers. You know what I mean? Um, that's what I want to be here. I want to be embraced by West Hollywood and, and Los Angeles. You know, I want to represent the Salty Girl brand, you know, like we have in Boston, here in L.A. 
Um, yeah, I want, I want to be embraced in LA just like we were embraced in Boston. You know what I mean? Like I want to become this local, you know, West Hollywood neighborhood restaurant, you know, where people know that they can come and get good food and, um, you know, just, you know, like we, like I said, we were always, we had such a small staff and we were always very, you know, friendly with, you know what I mean? We just had, we had such a great, like, uh, people that came. That's, that's what I want. I just, I just want us to have these two restaurants on both coasts and to represent the city that we're in to the best of our ability and hopefully be here for many years, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, 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 I really do think that, uh, I think that this is a, a good journey for us and, and looking forward to see how the whole London thing pans out as well. You know, very, very different out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time. If people want to check out Salty Girl, where can they go? How can they follow along, make reservations, come visit, things like that? Yep. Yeah. Obviously, we have our, our website with our three locations. Um, obviously, you can follow us on Instagram. Um, and, and And please, you know, this is this is a great time to come in. We're trying lots of new things and and um you know, we're looking forward to you know everyone coming through. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kyle. Thank, thank you, you. Parker. Shout out for setting this up. Uh we have a song from Canyon Counterpart from the archives and then a live performance from Fluster C. Johnson from the archives here on Heritage Radio Network. Oh. 
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. There's a reason when you think of Wisconsin, you think cheese. Cheese is a huge part of Wisconsin's history and future. In Wisconsin, the state of cheese, the tradition of cheesemaking excellence began 180 years ago, before Wisconsin was recognized as a state. Immigrants traveled to settle in this lush, green hills of Wisconsin, bringing their cheesemaking traditions with them. These storied skills combined with the freshest milk available created a cheesemaking culture that is uniquely Wisconsin. Wisconsin's 1,200 cheesemakers, many of whom are third and fourth generation, continue to pass on old-world traditions while adopting modern innovations in cheesemaking craftsmanship. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back. We got Fletcher C. Johnson and crew in house. Boys, you want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm John Doherty. I play drums. I'm Todd Martin. I play the bass. And I'm Fletcher. You might remember Todd from the last time we did the show. I do. He was the paper cutout that we brought in. Oh, yeah. Well represented. Uh, if anyone wants to go back and hit pause on this episode, it was episode 95, and it was almost like four years to the day. Well, it, we are, it took us four years to do the new record, so oh, okay. that's it, about how that works out for us. That is about how it works out. It was it was a post-Thanksgiving episode, which is what this will be as well. So welcome. How's your cooking been? You couldn't cook four years ago. Can you cook now? No, I no? can't. Okay. I really, I have less. That's what people cook less. Cook less. That's what people were kind of, you know, that's the question they wanted us to ask for your follow-up. Yeah. <laughs> putting putting me on a cooking show isn't the wisest thing. We're on the you're on the music part, so it's the second right. half. Okay. So lessons in tenderness, new record. Yes. Really interesting. So four years. Take us through those four years. A lot of couch surfing, a lot of wandering. How did the uh, how did the record get started or the process of it gets getting made? Um, it was me and John. John's the newbie because he's been in the band for about two year and a half years but uh me and tommy who was the old drummer we started working on lesson and tenderness and todd i don't know just a slow i write songs i can write about seven minutes worth of music per year that's what i've learned <laughs> well i mean your songs are only like two and a half minutes anyway so that's like right, three and a half songs yeah that's yeah good. it's a good ratio there's a lot of bad stuff that i write but it's about seven minutes of quality music it's not seven per year it's not say so, yeah yeah there's a lot of yeah there's bad breaks and then uh so you ended up uh you took a tour to texas and california you ended up living in a practice space in orange county what was the name of the practice space and what was it like living in there well i would just went uh so we were on burger records did salutations and burger records did lesson and tenderness who are good friends of ours and my favorite label amazing label and I went to Burger Records, having never been in the store. It's a it's a record label and a storefront. So I went out there, figuring out. I just decided I was going to live with them for a while. I liked them. I hadn't physically met them, but I talked to them on the phone. They'd done a record, and I really liked everything they were doing. So I went out there to live with them. But I learned that they lived in the store, like they didn't even have apartments themselves. So do they have bedrooms? They don't. No. Um, one of the guys mostly sleeps in the back room of the store, and the other guy sleeps in the van that they own. 
uh, in the parking lot behind the store. I remember when Darren and I, our first um, apartment, if you want to call it, it was essentially a room in New York, and there was one odd, just random piece of drywall that was in a corner. And so Darren shoved a mattress in there, and I just slept in the living room. And that was that was fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that was fine. So uh, You were doing better than Sean and Lee are doing from Burger Records. I mean, is it now just like a point of pride? I mean, I feel like Burgers should be doing well enough that they could get They just sink all the money back into putting. They right about the time I think they could get a nice apartment. They just there's another record here and they want to put that out too. Or another festival. Yeah. So where did you live? If they were living in the back of the store in a van, where did you? Well, we know from New York City about having uh, rental practice spaces, which isn't as necessary in Los Angeles because people have basements and things there that we don't have where you can make a lot of noise. But I just I was I remember sitting on the couch. I had a book that I pulled off the rack. Is, I was slowly realizing that staying with the Burger Records guys was not going to work out for me. And did the van have uh, a back seat? What did the van have a back seat? We had a yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Lee's sleeping in the van, so he had a back seat. But I don't. You don't want to share a van. I had my own van. Okay. Uh, I just looked into practice spaces because we were finished. There's a member of the band, Adam Meisterhans, who plays on the Less Than Tenderness record, who uh, was from West Virginia. He's living in Nashville now as a studio musician. He's a really excellent player. And he had done the tour, and I wanted to get him on the record because he knew all the songs. So it was also about the cheapest way to live and get Adam Meisterhans to play guitar on the record. So I just looked up practice spaces in the Orange County area, which is where Burger Records is and uh, ended up living in that practice space for about two months. Did anybody say anything? Did they know or did we just very careful? No, they really didn't care. I, I almost lucked out because the practice space was going under. They had just lost the lease. So when I asked if I could live there, they said you can, or not live there. If I asked if I could have a space, they said, well, we only have it for two more months. But the thing about that was there's a lot of bands that have been there for years, and they didn't like the fact that they were getting kicked out. So there was rowdy parties in there almost every night. I mostly actually slept in my van outside of the practice space and then would work and and hang in there all day. But it was... And you talked about recording the record, recording the instruments during the day, and then recording the vocals at at night. What made you split up the process? necessity because it was so loud I mean even the night was like really late night it would be when all the partying was done when everyone went to bed uh, I would hang at the at Burger Records in the back room and watch TV and stuff till like 4 in the morning and then go back over to the practice space and see if someone was still making noise and then uh, record all the quiet stuff do the tambourines and things like that can we hear a song? absolutely what are you going to play first? what should we play first? Yeah. This is the last song on the Lesson in Tenderness record, and a song that uh, we've never played acoustically before. Involves a lot of rocking, so we'll see what we can do.
After living in the van, you moved to L.A. to keep to mix the record, right? I there's a point. I mean, in the practice space, there wasn't a shower or anything. There's a bathroom. I had pretty good athlete's foot going on, so I was washing my feet in the sink a lot and occasional. Okay, I remember going and playing a show, uh, like an acoustic show at a college that they invited me to do, and just like begging to go into the dorms and use the shower. So, actually, how much begging? <laughs> like, please, or just like, hey, just a casual. Can I just check out the showers? It was more like um, I just kept hanging out with them. <laughs> like that. De- like I was like, all right, the- we're good here. And then they were talking about like a like a senior art show and I was like cool man what's going on with that like I loved senior art shows let's check that out and then like just kept just kept hanging till I was eventually back in their room and how was the shower it's amazing <laughs> so from there so um watching and uh sleeping in the van in the practice space well, we have I went up to LA I had I have friends up there as well we got our mutual friend Taylor Cohen TC. Uh, filmmaker, director. Lover. Lover. Well, I crashed with him for a while, which meant he was already crashing on someone's couch. So I started crashing behind the couch that he was already crashing on. So that was a pretty good run there. They had a lot of guys in that house. So you know you can squeeze in. Yeah, no one more. One more guy behind the couch with the guy crashing on the couch is going to work. But uh, eventually, uh, a buddy of mine went on tour, and I got to take his room. Uh, a dude that I played in a band with, Kyle Thomas, let me take his bedroom for a while. So that's where I did a lot of the... Yeah, I saw that great photo of you, Matt, and him from like your first tour together back in the day. Yeah. Uh, so being in his house, you also had access to some of his gear and equipment. He didn't have a lot of stuff... At the time, he had a beautiful backyard with a palm tree that was an umbrella that blocked all the sun out, and uh, it was the true Los Angeles experience. He had some quality weirdo roommates who I like a lot, and this and a blind cat, which I didn't realize was blind the whole time I lived there. It wasn't until uh, I was just always doing stuff. With, cats are great. They don't need eyesight, I learned. We watched the season finale or the series finale of The Office together, and the cat got it, and it didn't even couldn't even see. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, did all of these kind of rotating uh, influences and settings help shape the sound of the record, or influence you, or all the kind of downtime that you had of just kind of hanging out allow you to evolve your sound from the the previous release? Yeah, I, I guess so. I mean, like, like I said, it was four years between releases. There's a lot of evolving sounds already. Uh, just trying... Being out there was good because there's a lot of bands from Los Angeles that I like a lot. So being surrounded by contemporary musicians who are doing stuff uh, that I'm into is cool. I think some of the earlier records were more influenced by 60s and 70s bands and just trying... I was catching up with what was going on right now. Who were some of the bands that influenced the sound on this record? Uh, a lot of a lot of the contemporary folk bands, uh, a lot of the burger bands. I'd say I was hanging with the guys in the Memories, hmm. and I like their tunes. Uh, we did a tour when we were doing the West Coast. We were on tour with Natural Child, who I'm a huge fan of. So all of their sounds have come in. 
It's other people are influenced by those earlier bands, but they're doing their own thing, taking it in their own direction. I want to do that. I want to uh, stay contemporary, but also love the music that I've always loved. Yeah, and what sounds did you layer in? Because, I mean, in the last time you were here, you talked a lot about the Beatles and the perfect soundwriting and the 60s and 70s influence. What actual noises or sonic uh, soundscapes have you added on top of the music that you already love and make? Well, I was trying to... The hardest thing is when you don't play keyboards and trying to get some tasteful synths, I think. Uh, there's a lot of untasteful synthesizing going on these days, so you need to find just the right tones that make sense with what you're doing. I think when you're trying to incorporate it into uh, live instruments or acoustic instruments, there are certain sounds that clash and there's certain sounds that work perfectly together. And there's other sounds that clash perfectly. So, mm. can we get another song? Absolutely. What are you gonna play? Uh, do always.
One of the greatest things to come out of the new record is the Water Than Me video. How long did that take? Well, just to, for people who have not seen it, it's you essentially just moving your hips, walking down the street in multiple locations, in multiple clothing outfits and changes. How long did it take for that to be filmed? All right, and how did you film it? Me and uh, Johnny D, the drummer of the band, shot it in uh, two days. It's an idea I had forever, and I kept throwing it out there for uh, talking to you, Taylor Cohen, <laughs> uh, to many director friends, and they were like, well, okay, that's a good idea, well, but what about this idea? And I said, uh, this is simple. I think we can do it. And, and John said... I got a better idea, and then we talked about that idea, and then I convinced him to still do this idea, and I thought... <laughs> what was the idea that lost? We got... Well, it's a slow motion video of you going to be on a hoverboard, and everybody kind of throwing things at you. John has... This still might come out, so... Okay. It's on... It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a slow... He wants me to get broken up with... And then walk outside of my apartment, get on a hoverboard, and then go down the street while rows of people on either side of the street throw food at me. I'd watch that for two and a half minutes. Yeah. That's a good one. You, it's yeah. actually for the last song that we just, the pl- oh. song we just played. It's, perfect. Uh, oh, that's perfect. It's just us. It's, basically, he just wants to strap something onto the, the bed of his truck that he thinks he can nail the video in one try. And throw us up a plunger. Yeah. Just get I said, it out there. If, if that thing you strap on in the back of your truck is not aligned just perfectly, that's a lot of food that's going to waste. Yeah, so. that's true. But you could do a test run, like mo- pantomiming the food being thrown. Mm. Yeah. This is why we come on yeah, food this is podcasts this is, because, to get those different food ideas. Yeah, there you go. You're have. not a food guy. But for the video, I mean, it looks like it's actually shot over the course of a year just from all the outfit changes, two days. and, and I brought two gigantic suitca- rolly suitcases of outfits. And um, there's actually, there's a point where I'm going up an escalator. Now, what oh, and there's we, a suitcase there. There's a suitcase. That's yeah. one of the suitcases. <laughs> now, what you can learn from is that... Um, Forever 21 doesn't care what you do on their escalator. Because we tried to get nail it, so we were crossing at the same time. We probably did it four or five times, right? We were in there for like at least 25 minutes. Yeah, we were 25 minutes. Not one employee questioned what we were doing when we were like <laughs> like signaling to each other on the escalators to say when we were going to get on. And also, there's if you look at it, there's a woman dancing on the escalator that John's on with a camera, and that was completely unplanned, but it's the greatest part of the whole video. It's really good. I did actually wonder what that suitcase was on the video, because it's just so weird. It's that one of the two suitcases I had that was full of outfit changes. And, and did I see that your wedding made it into the video as well? My actual wedding, yeah. Um, my brother also helped shoot it as well, did some good work, but uh, made, probably the best thing he did was... He was, uh, I mean, I was groom, you know, groomsman. He was my only groomsman. Was yeah, the, he's best man. The best man. The groomsman, the best. I mean, he's got a lot of hats. When you go to City get... Hall, I don't know, you need a guy. Yeah, you need he one guy. He's my guy. He's a witness. And he said, I know this is your wedding, but you're going to really want this shot. And so he made uh, me do my hip wiggle dance at the, at the chapel. I mean, City Hall. your wife looked like she was a good sport. She looked grumpy, but that was even better. Yeah. yeah. She is a good sport. She is a good sport. 
Um, well, I want to make sure we have time for one more song. Thanks for coming on the show again. Hopefully, it won't be four years for the next time. Uh, where can people we get? We just got out of we just got out of recording studio doing a new EP. Oh, uh, last week. Oh, perfect. Um, so, where can people find the record? Um, find you, uh, see your shows, offer you a place to shower, etc. Uh, we're on all the music sources if you want to listen to the tunes and I don't, we don't have anything coming up we're going right into the holiday season here so yeah. by the way when we lo- we play around New York a lot and uh, Bryce just asked us to go play this festival he set up in Atlanta so we'll be hopefully down there in uh, March cool as well as doing a little bit of touring down there and we play around the New York area a lot um, where we last left you final question you were working on your Twitter game any anything to update four years later? I mean, I got I get one good one like every four months. That's on par with your music writing. Yes, you're right. That's yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Like, that's my I'm, entire artistic style. I'm sensing a pattern here. Uh, well, big thank you to Gorilla Tacos, and uh, if you haven't done it yet, uh, we are nominated for Taste Awards for Best Radio Show and Best Podcast. If you go to bit.do backslash stvote, that's bit.do backslash stvote, we'd really appreciate it if you voted for us. Vote twice. Podcast and radio. Vote for Snacky too. Thanks. Um, well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Uh, hope you. you have a good Thanksgiving. What are you going to take us out with? This is a song about... I work night shifts. I live the nightlife still. And my wife, she works days, so this is a song about her letting me sleep because she always trying to wake me up in the morning and that's rude.
We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Snacky tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.